This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Radio. This week, Tex and Luke answer your questions direct from Instagram. You'll find yourself entertained by the rapid-fire responses to some inquiries and informed by the more dense training conundrums. The guys also reference Grindstone, the program we've designed for the working man or woman who needs to move the dirt and doesn't necessarily have time to set aside 30 minutes for a fucking cool-down. So many questions, so many answers, and so much Luke and Tex. That's right, all the hair, arbitrary hotness rating systems, and nonsensical metaphors to movies you can handle. And in this episode, we'll be offering a Grindstone promo code for new subscribers to get 20% off their first two months of the program. This is episode 159. Power Athlete Nation, what is up? You got Luke here. And Tex in the same office. Tex took vacation from D.C., actually moved out of D.C., moved to Texas, left Texas, and is now living in California for an undetermined period of time until the the job is done. And John is nowhere to be found. He's off the grid. We don't even know where he's at. Uh, True story is John's at uh, Dr. Two Fingers, Dr. Bueller's office as we speak. So he's in Salt Lake City. So it's just me and Tex. You're two, uh, you know, we call it biscuits and gravy or, or bacon and bacon and eggs, as you, you know, you might call it. Gravy train with biscuit wheels. <laughs> but we're here to field some questions. We posted up a little a little inquiry on Instagram, and we got a good response, something like 30 or so questions. We're going to do our best to barrel forward and get to as many as we can. Uh, that's probably not going to happen. So don't worry, there's going to be plenty more of these suckers as we move forward. But first and foremost... I picked up text from the airport yesterday. We haven't talked to each other yet. We just made subtle eye contact, uh, shared a bowl of soup, and then went to bed, and then trained this morning in silence. So, Tex, what's going on, man? Uh, Nada. Just uh, continuing world domination in, in the name of Power Athlete. I drove back from D.C. I had a pit stop in Atlanta, caught up with a girl, Lauren Polivka, caught a baseball game. Then I drove another six hours, caught up, and I went to New Orleans, and uh, just kind of blew off some steam, I guess. Then finished the drive to Texas, drove, flew to Tennessee for a seminar. I crossed with Mayhem, uh, Froning's Gym. Then from Mayhem, flew out here, and now we are, here we are. So that's my two weeks. Now, what's, what you guys need to understand about Texas is uh, if you go to Google and you say, all right, how long does it take to drive from D.C. to Houston? I'm assuming it's going to say, what, 18 hours? 23, 23 hours, 22, 22. But Tex, Mr. Slow and Steady, you know, he likes to go 10 to 15 under the speed limit, fuel economy, safety first, so it actually took him two months to get there, right? More or less. <laughs> but I was stopping in gym, I was shaking hands, kissing babies, just uh, on my political trail for our mission, of course. But, uh, yeah, man, coupled that with your little road trip, with the fact that I've been all over the fucking country over the past few weeks, all over the world. world. Yeah, Australia, 
Panama, Dominican Republic. Dude, I've been crushing it. But uh, no, it's going to be back in action. And then I fucking take off in like three hours yeah. and to South Dakota. So it's just been nonstop for me. But um, yeah, man. I don't know. What else? What else we got? Um, let's, let's just jump right into questions. All right, let's do it. No smart talk. We're not that interesting. That's a good point. Uh, what do you want to do? What do you want to open with? Who do you want to talk about? <clears throat> uh, sprinting, jumping rope. All right, let's do it. So, where are we at, Tex? Uh, Watts PT. Read it. All right, avoiding shin splints when sprinting or jumping rope. So this is definitely shin splints. Uh, I know if you haven't had shin splints as a freaking high school athlete running on those concrete tracks or those hard-ass tracks, you probably weren't running hard or fast enough. So um, I'm going to guess it's you're having shin splints based off poor positioning. So if it's jump rope and or sprinting, you're probably catching a lot of plantar flexion. So Explain those. Plantar flexion? Yeah. Pointing your toes like a ballerina. Uh-huh. So in order to accomplish that movement, your calf has to flex. So your calf is working hard. You're pointing your toes, and then every single foot strike, your calf is forced into from concentric to eccentric. So it's going into a very negative position so that it's a very abrupt force into the ground, and then your shins are taking on the brunt of it. Shin splints are basically kind of micro-fractures in there. So how our, our solution is easy. It's going to be kind of... Uh, driving home, dorsiflexion, get yourself one of our physio boards, and um, focusing on slow, steady position. We got Captain Morgan's, we got our skips, so very low force uh, cocky walks, mm-hmm. stuff to kind of uh, bring attention to a strong tib-fib versus a strong calf. Honestly, when I go to bar, I'm looking at girls' tibs-fibs versus kind of anything else. I always work from the ground up, kind of. <laughs> Are they flat-footed? Do they have a strong arch? From there, I go to the tib-fib. Then I worry about the rest of it. Like, what do you mean the rest of it? Uh, whatever's above the knee, I don't know. I'm not concerned. <laughs> so, just to put it, here's a couple things in terms of, like, the double-unders, too, because I remember back uh, in the gen pop days, people are always struggling with this, and it's a, a combination of, really, your ability to hold your shoulder set, minimize the amount of distance the rope travels, and minimize ground contact time as well. So if you think about this, even if you're trying to run fast, which if you're sprinting, the goal isn't to be mediocre. You're trying to run as fast as you fucking can. So if you have that pointed toe, that plantar flexion, you're also giving an, uh, you're, you're, you have an opportunity to increase the amount of time it takes your foot to get off the ground because those movements, you do need to hit some sort of plantar flexion to jump or extend, right? So as you drive and push yourself in a sprint or push yourself off the ground ballistically in a, uh, in a double under, you are plantar flexing. It's about recovering from that plantar flexion into mm-hmm. dorsiflexion as you prepare to strike the ground. So now if you are able to strike the ground in dorsiflexion, you're also superficially minimizing ground contact time just by putting yourself in a better position which is going to make you faster or get your feet off the fucking ground so you don't catch your toes on a rope if you're doing double unders. Am I wrong, Tex? Completely right. So the goal of sprinting, goal of jumping, any form of plyometric, I mean, we could even put jump rope as a plyo, is quick turning on and turning off of your muscles. So if you are kind of uh, keeping plantar flexion and then flexing your calves and that hesitation, then you're going to catch yourself in a poor position when you have to – make the ground contact time, no matter if it's a jump, jump rope, 
for a sprint. So, uh, and Luke called me out in training this morning. I was doing some kind of uh, ballistic skips and I'm tense. I'm trying as hard as I can, which is kind of the not what you want to do when you're either sprinting or skipping or jumping. So the goal would just be kind of relaxed. Uh, go to ants kind of drill yep. with task. Tension, yeah, tension, tension to, to the task. task. And the, the tension and the systemic and body tension, tension whether it's your trunk, uh, your shoulders, or your ankles, when do you want to be most tense through those movements as you're striking, right? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of this selective tensioning. You know, I, I heard Ruiz, or I was reading one of his – this was years ago. He was on somebody's Facebook page, just poetry, smashing with the, his uh, kinetic poetry. And he's talked about like an uh, equalizer, right? Like having an eight band or 16 band equalizer. And if you can imagine like um, all those levers being modulated tension in different systems, like there's a symphony of tensioning going on through all this stuff. And your ability to do that is coordination, right? So, whether it's inter intra muscular coordination, uh, you got to just learn this stuff. And how do you learn this through repetition? But uh, if you get too much tension, then things are going to burn out quicker, and then things are just going to get sloppy as well. Yeah. And so sprinting, that's that's a lot of reps. So a lot of ground contacts, jump rope. That's a lot of ground contacts. So how we would do is kind of minimize the number of ground contacts. So we can skip. That's a broken rhythm and allow some coaching time. Uh, we could do some some lunges to step ups and then kind of see where your default reaction to is for your foot position, like a knee up toe up. And also on the way down from that step up, are you reaching with plantar flexion? Right. Right. So, uh, Luke's got a great step up video out there. Uh, just kind of breaking it down. And okay, let's, while you're here, let's just fucking film a mega step up video, a mega primal video yeah. series. Cause people still don't know how to fucking lunge. Yeah. Yeah. It's happening. It's happening. I'll just I'll let you know my vacation schedule and we'll fit it in between there. So. All right. Well, yeah, but I'm going <laughs> that too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess with that said, all right, so avoiding shin splints, you have to become proficient in dorsiflexion or recovering from your ankle extension, plantar flexion to dorsiflexion and using that to your advantage. Be loose. And matching tension to task. So as you're floating in the air, you don't need to have that tension. It's only as you're contracting where you need to build tension. And another good test, box jump. And listen to yourself land on the box. If you can hear, you're jumping too hard. So you need ninja feet. Ninja feet. All right. And then you want to get second part of this as well? Oh, uh, yeah. This is an easy one. Foam roll as part of pre-warm-up warm-up or cool down. Easy. Cool down. So foam roll post. It's going to be kind of a lactate flush. It's going to be a recovery tool, not a warm-up tool. If anything, it'll do more damage than good in terms of your central nervous system efficiency. Uh, I know Luke hits foam roller before bed helps him relax. Mm -hmm. Well, you don't want to do that before you expect to hit any PRs. Right. So hit it, cool down, try it. All right, where do you want to go now? I just move down one? Sure. All right, my man, the, <laughs> the Grove. <laughs> uh, best way to improve shoulder internal rotation. So I'm guessing like, hang on, like, so what, how, how you, how does he know he has bad shoulder internal rotation? It, has he done some sort of FMS or I just don't get it. I don't get it either. So most people are concerned with improving their external rotation. Mm -hmm. So internal rotation is 
imagine hands out like Frankenstein and then try to turn your thumbs in as far as you can. Or like dumping a beer out. You would never do that. So anyway. Uh, what if it's Budweiser? Yeah, dump that Budweiser out, Tony Fu. <laughs> well, that's a funny story for when we get some downtime. But um, yeah, turn your thumbs in and then focus on the position that that puts your shoulder in. And ask yourself, does this feel safe? And the answer? No. No. This is the, that's the position cops put you in, allegedly, when they arrest you. I haven't had that No, experience. I see how it is. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, improving, here's how you would improve internal rotation. Bench press more. Put in some weight that you can't handle and then see where your body defaults to. And that will put you in some extreme internal rotation. But that's well. also you fucking hurt yourself bench pressing. Uh, well, here's the thing. I guess maybe my man's a little confused. Maybe he's got a jacked up shoulder and he can't even fucking like get here. So what what are you thinking? Uh, just get a band. Yeah. And radio. Uh, where is it catching? I, I have to see. I always have to see someone move to give them an improvement. But uh, internally rotate your shoulders, just as we talk about a uh, dead bug. Kind of the best way to improve at dead bugs is to dead bug. Yeah, just do it more. The best way to improve your internal shoulder rotation is to internally rotate your shoulders. Yeah, so here, I and mean, you got like the whole Job series, right? That shoulder rehab exercise. Is it Job's? Uh, what is it? You know what I'm talking about? You fucking get a plate and you just kind of like internal, internal, external, external. It's got a name? Yeah. ISTYs, internal, external. Yeah, you just keep talking, Tex. I'm going to find it. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of guys that uh, specifically work with. Baseball players. Yeah, Jobes, Jobes, J-O-B-E-S. Yeah, and Eric Cressy's got a lot on this stuff. So, yeah, maybe maybe look what pitchers do in terms of increasing uh, their mobility and maintaining the stability through their full range of motion. Mm -hmm. So that's just like I've done banded work. I've done with a plate, you know, like basically holding like a, a kilo or two and a half pound plate or something like that. And you just – it's not about weight. It's just about reps and trying to – every rep, trying to get that inch – Further, inch further. Yeah, and the rep should never be set. It should always be based off your proficiency of movement. So that's another thing that a lot of people make a uh, mistake about in terms of like prehab, rehab, they just set reps. But you should always be pushing your own limitations in a good way. Uh, so always move until proficiency. You can hit that boiling point, but never the breaking point. Never force anything. Should easy. Does that lead us to the dead luck question? I mean, I guess. That's what I was thinking too. Uh, where was it? You go, uh, what the fuck is it? It's basically a uh, dead bug as an assessment tool. Womp, wampus cat. From wampus cat. Dead bugs as an assessment tool. What are shitty dead bugs and what are not and why? And then the second part, what are your 40 times? Let's just address the second part now, Tex. What okay. did you get handheld time? Uh, 4, 4.9 in bands. But I was racing somebody, so that was key. I didn't want to lose to my athlete. Right, and I think I got, what, four, eight, nine? Probably. So, yeah, that sounds about right. Well, we're going to find out because we're going to do some fucking sprinting this week too. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, I did get my 10-yard uh, my tested at Summerstrong, so I feel pretty good about that. I was in the, the top 10 for that. Nice. So, the, the, what are we at? Once, that was a 1-6 for 10 yards, which is all right. I'm trying to think the last time I would have timed a 40. I mean, I can remember the handheld 40 time in high school. Uh, I only base my times <laughs> off ball coach times. <laughs> <laughs> which, for the record, is when a fucking high school football coach handholds a fucking uh, stopwatch and times you, right? Yeah, because those so, are legit. Yeah. I know, um, I remember when Ruler went to fucking 
work with Tom Shaw or something in Florida, she got four seven electronic. Dude, that chick's fast. I played softball with her, and she like her and then DeGrazia, another dude who trains with us. They every fucking inning, they both played outfield, and they would be at the fucking dugout ready to foot race out to like the fence. They're fucking insane, insane. You, yeah, and your team only ran two outfield. Well, here's the thing, dude. You just needed them to cover the whole space. I would have fucking played along, but this was in the middle of the bulk, right? So I couldn't waste any calories. I was up there two fifty two. I was fucking holding the mound. Were you catcher? No, I was holding the mound down, dude. I'm a pitcher. And I was wearing the fucking, dude, I had to buy double XL, uh, you know those coaches shorts, like the men's softball shorts? Oh, yeah. What do you want to call those? The polyester deals? Yeah. Dude, I had my fucking shirt tucked in, flat bell hat forward, that, those suckers up above my belly button. What was, your, what was your sock situation? Uh, oh, dude, no shows. All day. Yeah, which playing softball. I know, but it looked, I want my legs to look cool. Which also were a fucking problem because I'll leg out a triple no problem, dude. I'll tell you why it's a problem because when you slide on the fucking gravel in a softball, men's softball league, that's how you get the fucking scraped up all the way up in that's that fucking why you wear socks. Yeah, fuck that up. Anyways, okay, so uh, back to it. Bugs, uh, dead bugs is an assessment tool. First off, text, why don't you just go ham on what you can see in a dead bug? Or what if, what if somebody's listening to this doesn't know what a dead bug is? How would you, how would you describe it to them? Okay, uh, best is to put you in position, just like we gave you a reference with the Frankenstein arms for the internal rotation. Close your eyes, take a breath, lay on your back. If you're driving, imagine you're laying on your back with your eyes open. If you're not driving, lay down on the ground. All right, from here, press your neck into the ground and reach the top of your head through your shoulder blades. Now raise both arms to the Frankenstein neutral position. That stays on the ground. It stays on the ground. Uh, so now bring your attention to your trunk, and what I want you to do is press your spine against the ground. You can accomplish this by posteriorly tilting your hips, or if you don't know what that is, just drive your belly button down to the ground. Yeah. There so think go. about sucking internally, and then get that lumbar, which is your low back. Uh, that low back, typically if you do tons of deadlifts and it feels fried, that area, push that down on the ground. Yeah, so you have a straight line from your tailbone to the top of your head. All right, from here, bring your attention to your quads, and I want you to flex your quads as hard as you can. Now, attention at your knees. Turn your hips in so your knees are pointing towards the sky. If your knees were eyeballs, they should be cross-eyed. Suck it, Tex. Use that this weekend. People loved it. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure they didn't get it. How did uh, I get that? Kneecaps, whatever. All right, so now attention to your feet. We want to go into that dorsiflex position. So I'm going to ask that you lift your shoelaces to your knee. So don't lift your toes. Just lift the top of your foot towards your knees. From here, I want you to raise both legs to the point where your hamstring flexibility is challenged but not compromised. Compromise would be any bend in the knee. Compromise would be any external rotation, so those eyeballs start to go wall-eyed. Wall-eyed. Is that an actual term? Yeah, it's like pugs or wall-eyed. Because it's like that. they're looking at the walls. Well, I know what cross-eyed is. Yeah, sure. Okay. So we just want your normal eye, knees, I want direction. No, we want cross-eyes because that's going to be internal rotation. Okay, but what if somebody's pitching to them? Uh, yeah, 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 for sure. So you want to be looking straight ahead. Yes, your knee eyeballs basically want to be looking at your hands that are in Frankenstein position. Fuck, oh, dude. That's a high five. All right. From here, you shouldn't be 
lower back connected to the ground, pressing the back of your neck against the ground, and your legs are straight. Mm -hmm. So this could mean that your legs are at 90 degrees. This could mean that they're at 75 degrees. But the point is we need them to be straight with your tailbone on the ground. Mm -hmm. And now that's a set up a good home position. Right. Shitty. Now let's let's talk about some uh, where you might feel tension. Like Joe, uh, Joe has decent hamstring flexibility. Who, a kid that we're training is a pitcher. Uh, Weapon X's brother. Yeah, Weapon X's brother. And uh, so dorsiflexion's a little off, uh, as you kind of would expect to see out of a pitcher. And then he's just got that one kind of dominant leg that he reaches with. So we got to bury that down. And then his trunk. So where you're going to feel this? You feel tension in the hamstrings. That's going to be a challenge, right? You yes. may feel some fatigue in your hip flexors as well, yes. right? Now, you also should be really max. So going back to ant, ant low, we're teaching maximal tension here without loading you with the barbell. So this is where I want tension beyond task, right? I want maximal tension through the trunk. So you should be feeling fatigue through the your whole trunk. Mm -hmm. Like think about 360 degrees of pressure, right? Um, and then you should also feel a stretch through the back of your neck as well because you're driving that chin down. And you're pulling the head through the top of the shoulders, so you're going to feel some tension through through the back of that neck. So this is where, like, and it's a constant tug of war. You're always, your mind is always going to want to make it easier, but the absolute savage inside is not going to let that happen. You're going to attack the tension, but not to the breaking point. That's where you're compromising any sort of posture and position. Yeah. So there's so there are an infinite amount of things that we can focus on here. Uh, so I'll say shitty. We'll start off with breath. Mm -hmm. So this, the dead bug, is an opportunity for you to focus on breathing with a loaded spine. So imagine, I love to say this at seminars, that you're doing a five rep max. A five rep max, roughly 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. Well, imagine trying to hold your breath, which many people try to do in a dead bug, at a five RM. And I joke that it quickly turns into a three RM if you don't breathe, right? <laughs> uh, so this is the opportunity for you to kind of breathe, breathe through your rib cage. And as a coach, I'm looking for belly breathing. So that means that tension in their tr their their trunk, their lower back pressing to the floor, they're losing it. So we just want to see their their xiphoid process, the center of their chest elevate, expand, and exhale, complete exhale and expand. Uh, so there's breathing, uh, looking at calf flexibility as well and then position the ankles. I focus on this a lot because I freaking got boat for feet and my ankles are, I don't even, I don't even know reference, they're, they're in bad shape. Mm -hmm. Basically, four years of sport jammed them up. And uh, so you're looking for, is it pronation, supination at the ankle? Mm -hmm. Inversion, eversion. Inversion, eversion. Uh, but anyway, I like to walk around and place either a water bottle or my coffee on an athlete's foot. They should be able to kind of hold stable and have a flat foot in which they're able to support an object. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing we tend to see is that inversion, which would be like uh, if you were to take the, the, let's say your athlete, I mean, how far apart do you want the, the feet, about shoulder width? Uh, shoulder width, yeah. So that's another thing people, you, you keep rolling. And I'll All right, so, so, if, so the feet, as we set up, and we, are, you know, we went through our setup, feet should be about shoulder width apart, so your feet shouldn't necessarily be touching. But when we're talking about the ankles, Pretend that now we're pushing the ankles together, and if the feet kind of create like a chalice or a V or a little like canyon, that's inversion. They should be nice flat tabletop. So that's the neutral ankle position that we're going to be fighting for, right? So uh, if you see, I mean, shit, there's like, there is so much shit. 
well, let's just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, then, you know, if your athlete's working around hip flexors, you're going to see external rotation, right, uh, of the leg, the whole leg. So those those kneecap eyeballs tend to go wall-eyed, right? Um, what else are we looking at? For the feet that we can tell just by looking and seeing feet are all mm -hmm. Oh, uneven dorsiflexion. Uneven um, height, or I mean, I guess. Length of femur mm -hmm. could be one hip's jammed up. One right. leg longer than the other, right? Which don't expect a good squat, right? Right. Um, what else with feet? Uh, this is going to be a big one, and one of my new pet peeves is people lifting their toes for dorsiflexion versus lifting the top of their foot towards their knees for dorsiflexion. So I know this is a very stressed position, and if they lift their toes up, that's going to shut their glutes off. So very important guys pay attention during the dead bug. I like to feel around and kind of grab the shoe. And if I see like an active or tense big toe, just try to get them to relax that and bring their attention back to their tip fit. Because whatever stress position you put them under in the loaded spine, it will carry over to their lifts. So if we were to squat immediately after these dead bugs and they're lifting their toes, I guarantee that I'm going to see them lift up their toes during their squat, which then shuts off their glutes, which makes squat weaker it's a big ass muscle we got to use it so just neutral dorsiflex foot without the active toe and then when we have them squat we want to have them grab the ground squat uh lunge step up everything with an active big toe because that'll fire your glute now let's spiral down to the trunk okay so trunk what we're going to tend to see is as you get into this iso hold we typically like to hold it i mean hold it as long as you can like tex was saying uh, to your boiling point, but not the breaking point, right? And uh, you as an athlete got to want it. You as a coach have to instill that type of work ethic in your athlete, right? You got You have to know, you know, I, I like to fucking, when we go to these seminars and we do any sort of isometrics, it's like one of our, our, the superpower you learn as a coach at the CrossFit football seminar is quitters. You know who's breaking and you know who's quitting. And even if they fake the break, I will fucking find you. And it's like a, a Dark Knight Rises. No, Dark Knight, when, he, when the Joker comes in and is like, I know a squealer when I see him. And the yeah. man on the TV, you know, like we know, we know. So you have to learn, get that in your coach's eye. But back to what we're going to see. So as you hold that, where your athlete is going to tend to fatigue in the trunk is you're going to see the low back as the hamstrings are being passed and we're locked out in our knees, we're dorsiflex, nice flat foot, and we're really trying to challenge but not compromise that hamstring, hamstring position, that low back's going to want to come up off the ground if you have a, uh, uh, a weak or unstable trunk. And here's where it will appear in the squat. Why the, the back is lifting off the ground is you're going into a posterior or a anterior. anterior tilt. Uh -huh. And guess what? I guarantee with their squat initiation, they're going to get that little butt flick. Yep. It's going to be a common, just like Joe did today, man, combo of, of anterior pelvic tilt and lumbar flexion, right? Or extension. Which one am I doing? Flexion. Extension. Okay. So um, so that's what you're going to see, and what that's what we're also building is the ability and familiarity with the position that we're going to hold in a back squat. So as all these things fall apart, like this is where when you load the bar on the spine, regardless if you're squatting, stepping, lunging, but typically squatting, typically hip hinging, uh, the all of these things are going to show themselves, right? Uh, let's barrel up. Where do you want to go? Uh, I want to stick oh, with the, the hips for a moment. And a uh, big fault we see in the squat is kind of a valgus knee, right? So the hamstrings are off. 
AD ductors are firing and those neves cave in. Guess what I'm going to see in a dead bug that'll tell me, tell the tale for that for the athlete. Uh, it's going to be when we said heels are going to be in line with the shoulders. Well, guess what? When you see the heels start to drift together and they're pressing their feet together, much like uh, gymnasts are taught, that is their adductors taking over. So they are squeezing their heels together. It's not that they're trying to, it's just where they default to. Much like in a squat, they're not trying to drive their knees in, right? But it's where they will fall to, and that's our dominance phenomenon that we talk about uh, in our, almost every limiting factor blog. So that's something you'll see. And by we, Texas Hockey is just saying specifically him. Well, no, a teamwork. Uh, Luke reads all those, right? To, yeah. Uh, review them. Lullabies. Sure. <laughs> so when I babysit John's kids, we're like, all right, bedtime, tell me a story. I'm like, this one's about living factors of plyometrics. Uh, Great. Yeah. But then when you're having like normal conversations with them, they're like, this is a lever. <laughs> Where do you think they learn all that stuff? Um, but anyway, so if you see the heels drift together, I guarantee that that person is going to have valgus knees on their squat. Guess how we correct that? Just make them aware, uh, give them some signals, and I just love to say each hip stands independent of itself. And that carries over to pull-ups. We don't want them pressing their heels together on pull-ups either. It's all connected. Um, so uh, we, should we talk about arms or? Yeah, I mean, so let's, before we get into arms, let's go just to the head position. Okay. Right, so a couple things here. So as you're gonna see one, a few things, one, Let's just go with like upper body kyphosis, right? Uh, so you got that thoracic kyphosis. Then as your athlete tries to push the back of their neck down to the ground, like, dude, you, I worked with Ollie this weekend. That dude can almost paint his fucking C-spine on the ground. Like, I'm nowhere close to that because I got kind of a little kyphotic upper back. Uh, Joe, the, guy, the kid, the pitcher that we have, he also plays a lot of fucking League of Legends, uh, Weapon Nexus Brothers. So he's really, he's rolled over like on the computer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so that's why he can't, Tyler's real bad because of fight. He's yeah. a fighter. Yeah, so all these, like, there's there's all sorts of reasons that you're going to have this kind of rounded upper back. But what you'll notice is as if your athlete has that that tight upper back, that kyphotic upper back, they're going to have a hard time tucking their chin down and keeping their head tucked up and touched on the ground. So that's going to be, uh, you know, a way to help and stretch that out and build awareness of this is going to be just trying to paint that C-spine across the ground. Um now, also, what you will see out of that upper body is if your athlete has a stress response that includes shrugging, so elevation of shoulders, so stress gets so high, their response, their psychological, physiological reaction to uh, stress is going to be either shoulder elevation like a shrug. We got to get rid of that. But what I see even more of is just chin reaching, mm -hmm. just like you're on a pull-up bar and, you know just that or you're deadlifting or you're squatting and you want it so bad that you lift your chin up. This is going to show itself in the dead bug as well. And this is a prime time opportunity to start to combat that because when that chin reach or that stress response transfers over to sprinting, oh, yeah. then you're talking about the changing your horizon. Mm -hmm. they call it. Then you're talking about hamstring injuries, catastrophic hamstring injuries. You're talking about just breaking position, being slow, all sorts of bad shit. Yeah, and then even worse, and unfortunately I had an athlete this fall, a football player, that stress response is lifting their chin. So guess what? If they play a contact sport and it's the third quarter and they have to ask through through fall ball, 
but they're the best athlete. They're going to step on the field. They're fatigue responsibly lift their chin. They'll step in to make a play tired default to lifting their chin and then have a life changing moment. So when you see that chin lift up on the dead bug, I guarantee it will carry over to the squat, the deadlift, which then carries over to the field. And the vertical pull. And the vertical pull. So this is the lowest stress opportunity for you to correct that fault and pre prevent an injury before it even happens. Uh, okay. So what are shitty dead bugs? <laughs> any, any deviation from what we yeah, talked about. Any deviation. So an inability to hit any of those positions, an inability to consciously understand your position under the stresses or respond to the coaching of the uh, trained coach who's going to tell you what's wrong. Yeah. So Luke talked about uh, going into your pain cave or finding out who's going to quit and who's actually failing. This is also going to find out who your leaders are and they're going to be kind of aware, get their, their team going, rah, rah. And they're actually going to listen to your coaching cues because they're aware. So an unfortunate thing with a lot of the conditioning right now that we're seeing is people just turn the clock on and turn their mind off. They disappear up their own ass. Mm -hmm. They care more about effort instead of actually executing what their coach is asking them to do. But guess what sport is? High stress, high heart rate, your fatigue, but you still have a specific task that you have to execute with your body. So warm up again, it's the lowest stress opportunity for them to realize awareness of posture position and listen to a coach's cues. Now what do you want to talk about? Should we go, do you want to talk a little grindstone? Or sure. do you want to go, do you want to call it another movement? Uh, KB swings, that's yeah, pretty easy. that's what I'm thinking. Okay. All right, so hit it. Where All right. D-Bone out of Tampa Bay is asking us, what should the main focus through the kettlebell swing movement be? And what is considered the proper form for a kettlebell swing? Well, are we talking like 1RM kettlebell swing, inverted, underwater? 150 reps per time. Okay. So first off, our, uh, what are they, RKC, right? They're, they're like the – that's like the kettlebell training style, right? And like the CrossFit kettlebell guys and stuff, there's an SME course there. Now, they may train it differently. And I know – I remember a buddy of mine, Andrew, back in uh, uh, Naperville, he went through this whole kettlebell training sequence and taught us all sorts of fucking different kettlebell swings to add some variance and shit like that and attack different portions, you know, to make it a more useful training tool. But when you were talking specifically about, all right, I'm following Field Strong Jack Street, um, Grindstone, CrossFit Football, the basics – I'm doing private programming from Tex or Luke or, or whoever, right? And I want to get, I want to bang out some kettlebell swings. The, the purpose of any movement, any movement, regardless of what you call it, is what, Tex? I'll let you just roll with it. Transfer training. That's it. So that's either to another movement, as we said with the dead bug, carries over to the uh, deadlift, squat, pull up, everything. Uh, we want our KB swings to carry over to our squat, our athletic position, our plyometrics, and it has the opportunity to do so because it's the most posterior dominant movement that I can even imagine. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna I'm gonna weave in a thread to your transfer training and throw in a theme that we always harp on, which is posture and position, mm -hmm. and specifically the universal athletic position, right? So we have a video out on the seesaw walk where Kelly and I talk about the universal athletic position, throw out some lightsabers. That's not a fucking lie. Uh, 
But go if you go search uh, Movement Demo Seesaw Walk on Power Athlete HQ, you're going to see it. And when we talk about the athletic position, it's the most advantageous position of being in sport to produce, reduce force in all planes of motion and transition to any primal movement pattern, right? So that's why it's so, so important. And why is it important to transition to primal movement patterns? Because, text, what's the definition of athleticism? Oh, easy. The ability to seamlessly and effortlessly combine primal movement patterns through space to accomplish a known or a novel task. So if you need to combine primal movement patterns or respond to an external stimulus in your environment, maybe a competitor who, who is a ball carrier or vice versa, you're a ball carrier trying to navigate around a, a defender, you need to learn how to reduce and produce force quickly, efficiently through all planes of motion and with every primal movement. Yes. So with that said, D-bone, okay, what are we looking for on the kettlebell swing, Tex? All right, so your setup, your heels are going to be just outside your shoulders. Your toes are going to be pointing forward, and posture and position is going to be the focus. Uh, I love to have my athletes start with the kettlebell in front of them and kind of think they're hiking a football. Their forearms should hit just inside their groin. Their spine is long, and their chest is just out in front of their knees, so their whole posterior chain is loaded. From there, it's just a violent hip extension, and your finish is going to be a straight line from your heels through the top of your head, and then you just kind of ride the momentum. Yeah, Vertical, or do you want leaning back? Vertical, not right. leaning back at all. Just as you would ask to finish a deadlift, assuming you're doing that properly. Right. right. Uh, so straight line from your heels to the top of your head, think perpendicular to the ground. Mm -hmm. Does that paint a picture? Yeah. And then your arms are just controlling the momentum of the KB swing, whatever umph that you put into it, Danielle. <laughs> right. So uh, what did I, what did I want to talk uh, Shin, like as you were coming down through okay. the negative, Good. what about the force reduction? Uh, so you're going to push your butt back into your hamstring. So we want a vertical shin as possible. Does that mean vertical? No. But it's going to be a dorsiflexion. Your calf is loaded. Your hamstring's loaded. And quite honestly, if we freeze frame the back, the back swing of a KB swing, in your universal athletic position, should be pretty damn close. Nailed it. Right, and um, a couple things that I tend to see people do, like excessive depth on the swing. I mean, think of staying tall and loading those hips, loading those hamstrings, and using that. I mean, maybe the power pull of an Olympic lift. I guess I don't know, I'm trying to create like. I'm not Olympic lift coach. Connections. I took a course once at the If but um, vertical jumps. Mm -hmm. it's just a vertical jump in which you don't need the ground. If we were to say, all right, take a step forward, jump, you would instinctively push your butt back and your hamstrings for the most part. Yeah. And then use kind of your arms and everything to jump. Now, well, talk, seems bad jump. Yeah, talking about transfer of training, though, um, the torso through the whole movement, basically from the top of your fucking head down to your tailbone, is going to be exactly, essentially, a dead bone. Mm -hmm. with the exception of a little bit of a lumbar curve, right? So we're not going to throw away that lumbar, but think about that torso, that neck, that head position. It should be one static joint, right, as we go up and down and swing that cut up. Now, foot width, did we talk about this? You know, I, I said athletic position. Okay, so feet outside shoulder width apart-ish uh, may vary a little bit depending on the athlete, but we want to have a wide base of support, mm -hmm. toes forward, Knees remain on the instep. Yes, so the landmark we're looking for, I said heels outside your shoulder, but some guys are 6'6", six, six, some guys are 5'6", some girls 
So the landmark that we're looking for is going to be knee on the instep. That go, that's a universal across the board. Mm -hmm. Flat foot, big toe down, everything's just coming into place. Yes. That was a no-brainer. All right. Uh, let's go. Let's talk about my um, man, my grindstone guy, FC2112. You want to do this one? Sure. All right. Long kind of intro. I mean, not relatively speaking, I guess. It's not that long. Uh, would love to hear more general discussion about grindstone programming. Recently transferred from CrossFit football to grindstone as adulthood punched me in the face. I'm curious how old this guy is. 22. How do you know? You checked it? No. Was, That's when adulthood punched me in the face. Dude, not no, really. 29 probably. Is when, <laughs> no, I think the first time I realized I had to be a fucking adult. So I'm working at my real job. And, uh, you know, like sometimes it's like you go out for tequila Tuesday, maybe you have wine Wednesday, margarita Thursday. Like, dude, and I came in late one day and my boss was just like, what are you doing? You smell like a bar. Like, it's a Tuesday morning. You know, it's like Monday night football. You know, I showed up 30 minutes fucking late. And, dude, I'm like, <laughs> I had a man in the mirror moment. I'm like, God damn it. Like, you have a pretty good job. Why don't you lock it up? And, uh, and get your shit together, which I did. But it was a good moment. I mean, I, I respect my boss at the time for like realizing I was just a 22-year-old kid who honestly didn't know any fucking better. So from that point forward, I pretended to be an adult from 8 a.m. to, you know, You just went to happy hour earlier? <laughs> went to sleep earlier? Essentially, yeah. And then, uh, then fucking locked it up from there. But I still haven't really grown up, obviously, because uh, I don't know. Okay, anyways, so adulthood hits this guy in the face. Okay, boom. So let's say you're following CrossFit football. What nutritional tweaks, if any, should someone make going into grindstone? One, what, I don't know, like are you trying to main, gain, gain, maintain, lose? Really, I, the difference between CrossFit football and the difference between grindstone is going to be potentially days training, right? Your mandatory days are going to be your big days. Uh, then your recommended days are going to be uh, your medium days, and then your optional days are your light days. So on your light days, you really don't need as much carbs. Let's just assume this dude's probably going for body, like for uh, uh, lean, right? Like, uh, yeah. So so you want to look good naked, right on. Uh, and then basically you're going to tinker with carbs, but you got to know. And John and I have talked about this on the podcast. I mean, let's be honest. Basically, John, because John doesn't let us talk on the podcast. But you got to know how you respond to carbohydrate, right? And you also have to know how to train, either train into a deficit or diet into a caloric deficit. So what that means is you're going to eat more on your heavy days. You're going to eat less on your medium days. You're going to eat the least on your light days. And then uh, you're going to figure out what you want to do on your off days because, I mean, there is some merit to carving up an off day to prepare you for a heavy day if you want to have a, you know. So there's all sorts of ways to really train into a caloric deficit, but for the most part, what do we talk about in terms of our nutrition game? Tell me what to eat. Here's what to eat. Meat, fish, fowl, seafood, eggs, root, uh, veggies, roots, tubers, bulbs, animal fats, coconut, butter, uh, uh, olive oil, avocado, right? Herbs and spices. Eat those foods. Have a nice balanced diet. Start with isocaloric. Uh, then tinker with your carbs on your, your heavy, medium, light days. And then figure out probably, I don't know, if you're looking to lean out, maybe 15, 14 13, somewhere in there, calories per pound of body weight. But it's just going to depend on also, you know, what do you do for a living? Are you behind a desk? I'm assuming life punching in the face. You don't have time to train CrossFit football. 
So are you at a desk job? Uh, do you have a kid now? Like get some sleep. It's really, okay. So here's, I guess what I should just say as a short answer. Okay. Nothing changes other than if you understand the theme of match your input to your training. Now, uh, there are no light days on CrossFit football. It's bang weights and it's Metcon. But Wednesday. It, well, okay, Wednesday <laughs> and maybe Saturday. Well, Saturdays even can be soul crushing, right? But in terms of like your training days are relatively similarly demanded. So you don't have to tinker with, with your caloric loading, but you may have to tinker here given the number of training days you have. And yeah. for those of you who don't know what Grindstone is, it's essentially like a flex training program, right? It's the idea that, Okay, you're gonna get uh, six, five or six, six. It's six training, six training days. Yeah, right. Out of those, two are mandatory. So you are gonna have your training weeks ahead of time. And if uh, it doesn't matter, you know, are you a new father? Are you a boardroom fucking animal who's working seventy hours a week? Are you traveling? You know, do you have fifteen segments a week where you're traveling the globe and it's hard to find your training? Like basically, it's. The objective of Grindstone is say, hey, get your shit together, figure out when you can set aside at least 90 minutes, two days a week to hit the mandatory days, right? That might be a Monday, Tuesday cadence. That might be a Wednesday, Saturday cadence, right? When you can allocate your 90 minutes. Then when you have more like 60, 70 minutes, you hit your recommended days. But you have to hit your mandatory days before you pop off your recommended. And then if you can find a half hour, 40 minutes, to 60 minutes, then you hit your optional days, which are typically more like just Metcon cardio type stuff, right? And it's, it allows you to flex and shift your pro, your programming around. So there's no more fucking like tweaking out, like, oh, I don't have time. I don't have time to train. Like we heard from so many people on Field Strong. But, um, you know, I yeah. forget how John put it in the, the program description, but it's for the person who legitimately has a time constraint. Well, it's, it's for two people, which I was going to hit the second half of this question whenever. Okay. It's for the person who has a legitimate time constraint. It doesn't mean that, oh, you know, I usually hit Game of Thrones on my DVR Monday night, so I can't go in and fucking train. Fuck that guy. Like, listen, I understand. I, like, no one loves sitting and doing nothing and watching motion picture than me. I, I seriously doubt it. But text. I mean, you're, you stayed at my house last night. Did we flick that little TV on? No. No, we fucking rolled out, sat around, talked current events. Current events. Right? We, we got it. I mean, wait, we didn't talk at all. Remember that's uh, what I, but like. We thought about current events. Yeah. To each so other. it's like, you know, I don't know. But I just am not a fan of I don't have time. I truly believe that you can make time, but it takes sacrifice. Now, I know there's some asshole out there or someone out there calling me an asshole. Like, you don't know what it's like. You know, you don't have kids and have to work two shifts. Like, I get it, dude. I get it. You made that choice. Go with it. And that's your life. But if you want to prioritize training, put as much effort into that as you do making time for work and making time for your family and everything else. And I, I get it, man. Life sucks when you die. But Grindstone's a great solution for that uh, if you truly have that problem. Now, let's get on to part two. So he says, do you believe Grindstone to be a temporary program until a person can get back onto football, field strong, or Jack Street? No. So uh, it's for two people, as, as Luke talked about, the, the guy that's got time, uh, does not have time, excuse me. And then it's also for the old, I'm throwing an old term out there, little monkey. So the guy who is does not respond well to high volume training. 
So in respect to grindstone, field strong is a higher volume. Mm -hmm. So if in order for you to make gains, get faster, feel good, and be explosive, low uh, just those uh, two days mandatory, mm -hmm. and then uh, two days what was it recommended, uh -huh. and then optional, and then you would play off how you're feeling that week and how your performance is. Mm -hmm. So then the first drop is the optional, then the recommended, and then keep the mandatory. I know our guy, our guy Gavin follows it out in AZ, and like yeah, I think he owns his own dental practice. Uh, dude, I'm sorry if I'm fucking this up, but basically he was like he would stay on field strong for for weeks, contemplating grindstone, and like he was just struggling, man. Like mm -hmm. he, he was making time for it too, but he was sacrificing like rest and sleep and eating well and shit like that. And then he finally jumped on it, and I see him every other week or so. Like he'll have shitty weeks, but he's also setting PRs on it. You know, yeah. and like for him, he's not necessarily training for anything specific. He just wants to be a badass motherfucker. And it, the program allows for that, but you have to be patient. And one thing you have to understand is if this, if you are this person who potentially is making this a full-time program, I'm going to tell you what I tell people uh, at fucking um, at the seminar. Like, you know, uh, we typically with across football, we have four training days and sometimes athletes can only train three days a week. Mm hmm is the program going to work? Yes, but it may not have as steep as an adaptation curve, right? And if you are a little monkey, whether that's physiologically, biologically, or based off of your, your social setting, how much sleep you get, how much stress you take at work, uh, how active you are throughout the day, or genetically, like I said, you just may not get the gains as quickly as somebody else who, can, who gets more in a shorter period of time. Yeah. Right? So... I don't know. Did we hammer that? I don't even remember answering the question. I'm all hopped up on caffeine. Yeah. So it's not a it's not a temporary program. You either have the time. Well, it can it can be. I'm not like I hate fucking absolutes. It's like zero dark thirty, okay. dude. Like we don't speak in absolutes here, right? It doesn't have to be a temporary so program. You build up the the GPP, the tolerance, the gradation to handle a program like Field Strong, yeah. Right. But if you can already handle a lot of football, yeah. You can handle it. Right. So for this individual, maybe it is just a pit stop while life gets in the way. All right. My mind's telling me no. But my body, my body's telling me yeah. Baby, I don't want to hurt nobody. But there is something that I must confess I don't see nothing wrong with a little bump and grindstone. Aw, yeah. Nothing wrong with a little bump and grindstone. So what is all the grindstone fuss about? If you're a hard-charging young go-hard, then keep doing your two days on four hours of sleep and a sick cocktail of pre-workout and dad hate. But if life is kicking you in the dick and you can't look at yourself in the mirror because you've half-assed every program up until this point, look no further than Grindstone. Not only will you receive programming that has tiered priority training days, but it will also equip you with narratives from Jay Welly, video demos with points of performance, as well as workout tracking via the Train Heroic app. Simply put, it's a world-class program delivered to your smartphone daily. 
Heads up to any new subscribers. Enter the promo code RADIO in all caps to receive 20% off your first two months of Grindstone. This offer is only valid through the end of June, so head over to this episode's blog post on PowerAthleteHQ.com to submit the offer code RADIO. Now back to the show. Good. Good. All right, what else do we got here? So, my man, FC2112, 22-year-old, just got a full-time job, maybe got married, maybe had a kid. Who knows what else? What else year? So, nice. what else is real life hitting you in the face? Okay. You're asking the wrong guy. Because <laughs> you're just fucking Mr. fucking Big Roughneck. Rough, roughneck. Do you think I it's... I go where there's work. I go where there's oil. Do you think it's like I bought a house and now I got to fucking really work? Do you think it's like he got a promotion? Oh, he's Xbox, bro. Boom. Yeah. But wouldn't his Xbox get repaired because he'd have less time? I don't know. Whatever, bro. So hopefully that answers your question. I know there's a couple other people out there um, uh, that were asking about asking about Grindstone or wanted to hear more about it. But that's that's the deal with that. And here's the thing, dudes. Like, I don't know. I, I really think it's one of the most valuable programs out there. I mean, it, it really is. And like that – for me, I know I use it as pit stops. I use the the philosophy behind it as a pit stop. Like with all the travel and shit I've been doing, I just get my like I know what the recommended philosophy is, and that's what I do my two days a week. Like, and it sucks, but sorry, Tex. What else did you have to say? Just uh, it allows you the opportunity to learn something about yourself as an athlete, something you can't learn from a genetics test or what a coach is forcing on you. You can solve. You can uh, just pose the question and then give yourself the answer of how many days. Two, four, six. I mean, we all want to be six, but maybe we're just a two. So it's a great program for that. Now, are you talking about attractiveness when you're settling for a six? Because I'm a 10, dude. Well, dude, let me tell you, a, uh, I'm doing a Washington, D.C. 10. I've been here for one day. It's a California six. <laughs> Wait, what? Hang on. So you're claiming there's more babes in D.C. than in SoCal? No, 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 no. You, you misunderstood. What? It's a 10. In D.C. Yeah. is a six here. Yeah. So there will be, if the 10s in California go to D.C., they'd be 14s. I don't think on that's a scale of one to 10. Is it a one-to-one ratio? I don't know. Neither, nobody does. All right, so let's barrel forward here. Uh, so my man Dylan, what is the PA Crew's top three go-to meals for the keto protocol? Well, Tex, I don't think you've ever done the keto. Let me tell you, if you're looking for, like, favorite meals – and so here's, I'm just not creative enough. And, and Paula has been doing some isocaloric recipes. I think she has one in the hopper now. I'm going to do one more. And I think that gives us six or seven. And then she's going to do some keto stuff. So she'll give you more palatable food. But in my experience doing the keto and, and Packy's doing it right now too, my girlfriend is like, if you're, if you're seeking a palatable, a diet full of palatable foods, with all sorts of variety, <laughs> I mean, you're barking up the wrong tree. You know, you, you basically have your your dis- like herbs and spices at your at your disposal. You have some, you know, maybe like a curry at your disposal. What's it say? Cheers. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> um, so let me just tell you, like, I guess my my go to, and it's like I, I don't have favorites. It's like when you get in the keto, it's business, right? So breakfast, you're gonna have some eggs, egg whites, probably some cooked that stuff. Uh, those suckers up and some butter. Uh, every meal, you're going to have at least a cup of some sort of meat mixed veggies. I like to saute mine uh, and have them kind of cooked up a little bit. I'm not a big salad fan, so maybe I'll saute like some spinach, mushroom, onion. 
uh, red pepper, something like that. And then I have like at least a cup of that or kale, right? Uh, just some leafy twiggy greens uh, for lunch. I'm typically doing some sort of ground beef. And what I was really geeking out on, uh, and it wasn't on the keto, it was just on the ice caloric approach. But if I, if I were to jump back on the keto again, uh, organ meats, man. So I'd get some beef heart and some ground beef. I'd chop up some beef heart. I'd saute some ground beef. Right, put in some taco seasoning. I personally like the taco seasoning from Trader Joe's. It's like 79 cents. It's called Trader Joe's taco seasoning. Throw that sucker in there, like half a packet per pound, honestly, maybe a whole packet for two because it's quite potent, okay? And um, what I would do, though, is I would throw, I would chop up that beef heart into little chunks, like cube them into little, like, uh, quarter-inch chunks, right? And then you throw that beef heart in there with the, the ground beef, let's say a pound of ground beef and a beef heart. And then you make some taco mix, and I'd fucking eat that for lunch. I'd bring that to the office, again, with some sort of, like, sautéed mixed veggie, trying to get my Roy G. Bib. Maybe it's like, um, you know, what do you fucking, like, like the uh, broccolini? Is that what it's called? Broccolini? Yeah. It's like carrots, broccolis, radishes. I don't know. I get it in a fucking bag, and it's like strings of broccoli, like oh, shredded right. broccoli. Broccoli broccoli slaw. Yeah. Fuck yeah. That's it. Bro- whatever. Broccoli slaw. Shut uh, up with broccoli. Um, and then uh, basically snack is going to be another fucking whack at that, right? Uh, and then dinner is usually a steak, and veggies, you know? And I just don't have a favorite version of that. You know, I- I'll mix in um, – seafood as much as I can. Like we basically do, uh, you know, either a, a cod or tilapia or salmon or tuna steaks. Like we mix all this stuff in and I basically, whatever I miss in fats, I drizzle and dress with olive oil, uh, or fucking butter, you know what I mean? And then, or coconut oil. So that's how I do it. I basically, I'm doing the exact same thing as Ashley is in terms of food with our food prep. I just eat sweet potatoes and rice. You know what I mean? Because it's it's the same fucking thing. But um, I wish I had a better fucking answer for you. But dude, here, Dylan, here's my promise to you: we're gonna stick Pauline, the primal queen, on some keto diets or on some keto recipes, and she's gonna fucking you know she's gonna blow your mind. You know, and I guess what I should also throw in as a favorite in terms of because here's the thing: like you need some lean meats in here as well. So I'll do some crockpot chicken with some winking girl salsa verde. I like to go hot. I do maybe like three pounds of chicken breast. I trim off the fat because um, it kind of weirds me out. I don't like chicken fat. I'd rather just eat, you know, a stick of butter. Uh, so I trim that chicken fat off and then uh, throw in two jars of Winking Girl and then like a, a packet of that same Trader Joe's deal, right? You shred that sucker up and I'll even scramble that in my eggs in the morning. What do you think about that, Slick? That's a good idea. Taking notes. Yeah. So um, I don't know. That's my strategy, but... Dude, Dylan, you're talking to the wrong guy. I'd eat the sole of a shoe if it had the right like amount of micro and macronutrients. I, I don't care Crocs. about the flavor. So is that you can like, eat Crocs. You can literally eat Crocs. Yeah. In case you're wearing Crocs and you're lost in the woods, you can survive. Get the fuck out of here. Why, dude? That's what they're invented for. No, they're not. Then what were they invented for? I don't. For cooks. For kids? No, for cooks. Like, don't all cooks wear Crocs? Is that cookist? Am I being a stereotype cooks? Can you um, eat Crocs? So, uh, but again, again, let me just get back on track here. Jesus. We'll get Paula to put some fucking keto recipes together because Paula is like a real, like she understands that people have a picky palate like yourself and she'll get you some, some yummy fucking uh, meal prep, breakfast, lunch, dinner ideas, you know, 
what's great about her recipes, the isocaloric ones, is I mean they're bulk, they're bulk, so they give you like 10 to 15 servings of 400 calories, you know, and they're nice and isocaloric. I mean it's it's a no-brainer, so you got to get on that if you're not already on it. So there you go, the keto. Ugh. That's a rough one for me. I'm not I'm not good at the keto. It's just that you know I I need a little carb in my life, man, or, or it's just dark days, and I'm already negative enough in here. I mean we're lucky that John's still with us. The negativity I supposedly bring in here, which is just to me a pursuit of excellence, you know, I get it. And negative reinforcement, I know you get it because you fucking. The only thing I'm negative <laughs> about is negativity, Luke. So what do we got next here? Do you want to answer John's question? Uh, yeah, I answered it on Instagram, but uh, sure. Let's uh, let me. Read so it this out. one comes from John W. Or I mean J. Wellborn. Uh, Wellborn with an E. Yes, well, Bell, Josh Wellborn. <laughs> uh, what if you have an athlete that cannot squat? What should he have in his mule? Vodka or tequila? Hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 Now, I'm just going to go ahead on a limb here and say that he should put Mama Wama in there. I don't know what Mama Wama. Mama Wama is like bathtub fucking battery acid booze in uh, in Dominican Republic. That's what we had the DR and Putzkana at this wedding I was at. Dude, um, I shit you not. So I know you shit yourself. They <laughs> No, not this time. But, uh, you know, you're with your buddies. It's a celebration. They want to do a round of shots. So they pour what's local, Mama Wama. Dude, they poured us these shots. It was worse than Mavort's. No. And then this fucking asshole shows us the bottle. It says display only. Oh, do not fucking drink. So what do you think we did? You drank the rest of it. Yeah, we ordered another round. <laughs> so I'd say put some Mama Wama in that mule. Give that guy a swift kick in the butt, Mr. Wellburn, and uh, maybe um, until he passes out on, a, on some train tracks, right? I guess so. Power or Danger Wad? Is that what yeah, Danger Wad. Uh, Have you looked at his site up yet? Yes. I actually kind of lost 30 minutes of my life. Yeah. That's fucking great. Tracking through it. Uh, I'm just going to be simple. I'm just going to Keels O'Neill's. Mexican mule. Nothing better. Let's do it. What's next? Uh, what do you want to hit? Des Moines. I, which one? Read it. Uh, saw you guys in Des Moines. Great seminar. Best friends of all time. You guys are awesome. Quick question. What is the number one most important thing when training high school athletes? Question mark. Preparing them for football and multiple sports. I don't know. I mean, Okay. First off, like it depends on the uh, honestly, man. Okay, so uh, this is my man Davis the Fench Fenchel. Um, like, which side of the fence are you on? You know, uh, <laughs> this is like I I remember you? Question mark. I might not even been there. But here's the deal: Where are you at in terms of your coach's life cycle, for lack of a better term? Like, <sighs> posture and position. Posture position. Uh, instilling a sense of uh, responsibility, uh, uh, overloading, uh, linear progression. Honestly, just follow the fucking program and be consistent. Like, that's the most important thing. And then probably, I'd say, assuming you're like, no shit, I have that on lockdown. I've already been enlightened. I've been to your seminar. I understand the training splits. Um, Truly understand the importance of sprint training. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Light intensity. Understand how to implement intensity sprints. And at the seminar, everybody just kind of like, 
it, it kind of glossed over because not a lot of people really trained true intensity sprinting. Um, you know, when the fuck were we in Des Moines? Des Moines, Iowa. Um, wasn't this year? Wasn't last year? I was. It was. It was last summer. Were you there? Yeah. Was I there? Yes. It was you and I. No, we. You're thinking of. No, no, we went to Iowa. I was at Georgetown, and then the, the oh coach yeah, was from Iowa. So he's like, "This is what you got to do." Uh. Anyways, yeah. Oh, I mean, I remember you. What a great experience that was. So I, I think back then we ha- you hadn't gone balls deep in Charlie Francis yet, and we had. Uh, I did, but not. Uh, but I didn't understand coordination yet. Yeah. So I understood the programming, but not the purpose. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Hold on. So I'll just keep, I mean, uh, I guess stalling for me. No, I'm not. This is how I always talk. Um, but, and then how, how to marry that also with your strength work and understanding the, the global scheme of the set principle and transfer training. So those are like three things. One, just follow the fucking program, right? Understand that athletes have to train like athletes, that it's not just about the numbers or honestly the sets and reps. It's about the execution and line of action. The idea that posture and position takes precedence. Those are the standards. Um, the, the numbers are really just, just a way to ensure that you're driving some sort of adaptation of strength and power, right? And then as you go through that cascading learning experience, then what you need to do is ensure that you understand intensity status, friends, right? And uh, the purpose of intensity and how the transfer of your training, strength work, and even your Metcon should really, really improve your athlete's ability to sprint because sprinting is ultimately the closest thing to the sport that a field sport athlete is going to get in their training, right? So even though we don't like sport specific and like this, all this bullshit and marketing bullshit, like here's the goal, bigger, stronger, faster. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish that those fucking guys didn't have that name and they weren't making people bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, we all know. Uh, but the bottom line with sprint is it's it's just like a golf swing. There is theoretically a perfect technique, but each and every person out there that golfs has their own optimal swing. So when we sprint, we can identify and eliminate limiting factors in terms of mechanic, work on flexibility, but every person has to find their own stride, find out what is optimal for them. And the only way to do that is to guess what? Run as fast as you freaking can fail. So all out sprints, they allow for that biomechanical and neuromuscular efficiency to take place. But if you're only sprinting for conditioning and conditioning sake, then you are decreasing your speed because you are limiting your coordination at the top end, which that's all we really care about in terms of sport. So uh, I'm uh, I'm changing my answer to sprints, but I wrote some other notes while Luke, Luke was talking. Uh, but don't overcondition. Less is always more. It's not as much as you can do. It's how you do it. Squat, toes forward, period. I don't care what sport you're playing. And don't let the sport coaches in the weight room or instruct them or inform them what you're doing and why. And last but not least, allow for athletic creativity. Throw some games in there. So going back to our definition of athleticism, ability to seamlessly and effortlessly combine primal movement that patterns through space to accomplish known and novel tasks. Known tasks are squats, deadlift, presses, set ranges of motion tasks that they're going to do over and over again in training. Novel tasks are stuff they've never, ever done before. 
So athletic creativity, that's the spike ball that we always talk about. It's playing tag. It's using all those known tasks that you used and combining them to get the job done, which is sport. So I love to throw kind of foot tag, just old school playground tag, spike ball, whatever it is, handball, uh, just find a different way to get these kids using their bodies through space. Put a, put a like old flag football flags, great for tag. Just uh, that's, that's all I got. So I wonder if he was, okay, let's, the number one important thing. So yeah, I think we answered that. Like there's really no, no um, tactical outline we could give them because it's all like, that's the easy part. Getting the sets and reps is the easy part. Getting your training splits is the easy part. The num like laying out the, the blueprint is the easy part. It's actually fucking building the athlete, which takes patience, a coach's eye, and an understanding and expectation of perfection, right? But if we have one thing, it's going to be intensity sprints. <laughs> because intensity sprints solve this problem of athletic creativity because they can find out what their per their optimal stride length and frequency is and get biomechanically and neuromuscularly coordinated. All right. So here we go. Shut it down. That's the answer. Now you know what side of the fence you're on. Okay. Seaside barbell. I'm going to go with this one, Tex. How would you base a two-day-a-week program for in-season athletes in high school? Uh, oh, I didn't even read the in-season part when we were talking planning this. Not that it matters, but it's easy. You have to, first off, let's acknowledge the, the purpose of an in-season training program, right? Day one of your season, your athlete will say, I'm just going to generically, these are not absolutes, but are going to be in the highest, best shape, for the most part, that they can be in. And the stress and demand and, and beatdown of game day, competition, match day is going to actually, over the long haul, imagine plotting a season, point A to point B, where B is your final game. Your athlete's performance traits will all, for the most part, start to tinker down. They're not going to be as fresh as they were going into their season. That's not a shocker because they're getting their ass handed to them week after week. Uh, you know, maybe winning, maybe losing, but... They're performing at a level that you cannot replicate on the practice field or in the weight room. With that said, because it's such a high stress, uh, nearly physically, like they're getting, they're getting shredded. So the objective of your in-season training program should be twofold. One, minimize the detraining effect of competition over the course of the season. And two, uh, continue to improve the movement quality to address any sort of injury prevention. I hate that fucking term text, so help me with that. Uh, we want to keep them good movers, right? And if they're banged up, we want to fix whatever's broken. Yeah. So I guess we got to come up with a better term than injury prevention. We'll sit on that couch. But um, so with that said, I guess, what would it look like? Uh, let's just say, what do you think? In season, I'm trying to think back. I think we got – we got 60 minutes at least. Well, we, we train, like you could train all every fucking day. Yeah. But if it were like a two day thing, I would do after game day would be squats and sprints. Right. And then three days out from game day, assuming it's like football, right. Three days out from game day, some sort of squat pull upper body or something like that. I don't know. Help me out. Give me more. Uh, we would, I would alternate kind of a bench press right after game day and vertical press uh the second day so they're squatting both days 
We're hitting a heavy horizontal after game day and then heavy vertical press closer to game day. Why? Because it's a less load. So you could also uh, do two dynamic pulls in season. So you're hitting power clean, power clean, or uh, full power clean the, the day after a game and then the day closer to a game, the training day closer to game day. It's just a power pull. So no catch, no eccentric load. Again, eccentric load causes the most stress. So we want to minimize that. So that's why we're vertical pull pressing, uh, just doing a dynamic pull without the catch and going there. So squatting two days a week, pressing two days a week, uh, dynamic pulls in season, kind of, kind of avoid that deadlift in season unless you got red shirt guys or kind of injured guys. And um, yeah, so it's push pull every day, full body every day. And don't let up on intensity. Kind of work the rep max model in season as much weight as they're able to execute and move that day. And let's talk about that. I'm just okay. going to jump on football because that's what I know best. You know, you look at a football squad in high school. Like a, a big squad's going to be 100 kids, right? Medium squad, 60. Small squad, 30. So as you get to the smaller squad, you're going to have guys who are getting more training time. But let's say you're a big squad school. 100 kids on the varsity dress list. Um, how many of those guys are playing varsity day? Uh, 30 max. Maybe, right? And then, But maybe there's some kids getting waxed. Special team pushes it out a little bit. But how many of those kids take on, would you say, enough volume to drastically affect volume in game day to drastically affect their ability to train the next day. And let's say drastically drops their ability to hit a rep max at or around 60%. Uh, the running back. Basically, right? The running back, or if your quarterback is, you know, uh, if he's a running back, right? right. Okay. Um, maybe a defensive player who's had the game of his life, right? Middle mm -hmm. linebacker, running back. Right. Uh, so those guys might get a beat down. Everybody else should be able to do decent. Your starting squad should be able to lift something relatively heavy, heavy assuming, again, there's no banged, banged up knees, banged up hips. Somebody didn't get a hit pointer, roll an ankle or something, and play through it. I, I don't know. I'm just trying to think back to that. But everybody should then be able to put up a decent number, not to mention the other fucking 70 guys who didn't play. You know, they're probably going to split time if you have a JV schedule which they typically do. They're going to split time in JV. Uh, we had two JV teams because we had like 150 guys on our squad. They all want to be Luke Summers, Brian Anderson, Brian Clifford. Like we were all-stars now. Okay. But um, my, if any of my fucking boys who listen to this, I mean, the only one who probably coaches me who listens to this, he's an all-star dude. We were all studs. We were unstoppable. We were an unstoppable. Let's get to the question. There's a link on YouTube where you can see the state championship game or text, I won a state championship by myself. <laughs> <laughs> no. Owen We're, Daniels and you no. also won the Listen, Super Bowl. Owen Daniels, our offensive line, and fucking uh, and Ryan Clifford won that fucking state championship. Those guys were beasts. But me and OD did win the Super Bowl. That is a fact. Yeah. Uh, where was that? Those I guys can lift weights. Those guys can lift weights, and they should be able to get a solid training day in the next day. Like that's basically it. Like it should be damn near close to off season training. Yeah. And for those guys that don't play as a strength coach, this is your opportunity to prepare them for when they will. So they won't have a detraining effect, right? So the in-season program should kind of have two uh, concurrent goals. Sorry, Tex, I know you're jump, waiting to jump in. Hit it. So I uh, primarily, primarily worked with uh, two game-a-week athletes. So football is clearly one. It'll mm -hmm. never be two. So lacrosse for two weeks, and we worked off the Rep Max model in-season. So the day after a Saturday game, come, come in on Sunday, 
to basically try to keep them from drinking, not from the kind of reason that we want to get them in after game day. <laughs> but uh, it was all front. Uh, it was all we did front squats. Coach didn't want us back squatting, so we're forced into that. So we were front squat through our inning. Our freshmen that didn't even touch the field. So their game day, quote unquote, was warm up, play a little freaking uh, catch, and that was it. So I'm not going to put them on a percentage-based program, and they basically warmed up and had an active recovery day. So we had everybody on a 3RM for the front squat after game day, and so my seniors who senior midfield, first line, they played every single minute offense, defense of the games. They would still just do as much weight as they could do for three. Uh, my expectation of execution, though, is a hell of a lot lower than those freshmen. And I am pushing and driving those freshmen a hell of a lot harder, uh, almost as hard as I was trying to keep them off the field when they scored a goal. <laughs> they keep them back, Coach, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, I, I find Rep Max, Max model works best in season, but if we are working with high school athletes and you put them on a linear progression, say they're first in the fall, kind of ride that wave. That's a whole different other conversation. This linear progression in season. Mm -hmm. All right, so I think we smashed that one, right? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna jump on this one real quick because okay. John and I just talked about this actually. Uh, so my man Ferris, Ferris F Arius F underscore Furious, Fast and Furious, uh, Complex versus Power Dot. So you may have seen and heard us working or talking about the Power Dot. Recently, and, and this, these are EMS. Oh, let me go. These are EMS. Uh, uh, what do you fucking call it? pieces of equipment? I'm drawing a blank. Electro. Yeah, or stim. Yeah. Right. Anyways, so the the difference between these two. Well, one, uh, Compex is is, is a, a great unit and continue to use it. It's going to work out well. Uh, and we did our best to fit Compex into our training, but the difference between Compex and Power Dot is PowerDot's approach, John, to actually write the software protocols. So he's going to be writing the, the protocols in the software, not literally, but providing the, the requirements, right, on how these things should work, at, at what level of hertz, at, at what are the phases, how long, what's the duration, all everything. And uh, so that's, that's why we're really working with them is because they, they have the, their engineers are really willing to work with us and change protocols. Uh, Complex wasn't. Now, what else is different between the two? Well, for all you broke motherfuckers out there, one's cheaper than the other. The power dot's going to be cheaper. Want to know what else is fucking legit about it? The software, you'll constantly be able to get updates because you don't have to fucking plug a, a handheld unit into a computer and do a firmware flash or any nerdy shit like that. Listen, Tex, I know your head just exploded, but you just download the fucking app and you get updates pushed to your app because it's run by your smartphone. Right? It's also wireless. So you don't have to look like, you know, you're trying to take down oh, a fucking God. aircraft when you're trying to use it on an airplane. So it's wireless. There's not the, the mess of wires. And it also allows you to train easier. And as we get into some jiggy shit, when we're talking about uh, dynamic work with EMS on, it's going to be easier to move around because anybody who's done any sort of plyo upper or plyo lower stuff with the compacts knows that those wires are fucking pain in the ass. So, those are primarily the difference. It's just, it's going to be a jiggy system. It's a little more affordable. Updates are going to be able to be pushed to your smartphone. You use your smartphone via Bluetooth to control the, the nodes. Um, and 
uh, we're excited because we get we get to be in the ground floor of helping out to develop the actual protocols similar to like the the form collar guys who come to us and you know we're on the ground floor helping them determine you know the use cases and what the app should look like how this thing should work for coaches and stuff like that so so that's the difference um but uh yeah i, I think we smashed that right tex yeah uh here's an easy one i train alone and recently watched the assessment video uh with matt vincent's youtube channel is there a way i can effectively assess myself question mark look in the mirror and uh Use your best pickup line. You're smart enough. <laughs> You're strong enough. Uh, do you have a smartphone with a camera? Okay, yeah. Yourself? Fuck, man. Um, I wonder if this – keep talking, text. Uh, so that's it. Record your lifts. So we also have an opportunity on our Power Athlete forums for you to record your lifts and then post it in Fix My Lift and then get some expert feedback. Uh, but you can also put a mirror in front of your squat racks. Luke and I were training – out here doing some deep lunges and we're staring at a mirror so we could check our lunge width make sure we're not walking on any tight ropes. oh you were looking at your feet i was just gazing into my eyes i'm a 10. <laughs> well i'm a dc 10 so a california 6. <laughs> um, so it can be mirror for kind of a, a live feedback and then you can film yourself from side view front view back view whatever that is and then watch and believing I'm going to steal this line from Charlie Francis, if it don't look right, it don't fly right. So if part of your lift just looks awkward or weird or some there's a hitch in your giddy up, then there's something you can fix. So that's that's pretty easy. Now, uh, I was telling Tex about this. Well, first off, can you can you assess yourself? I mean, maybe. Here's the thing, though. Like Tex was talking about with fix your lift on forums is Tex and I get to travel to – multiple countries see hundreds of people a year and fix their lifts. We've seen every variation and can kind of sum it up. And we have an extremely trained coach's eye. What may look good to you might look awfully weird to us. Right. So um, with that said, are you a good coach? Yeah, I guess you could theoretically assess yourself by, uh, by filming now, like get, get a coach's ideal if you want, but let me tell you about this. You got an Android, or are you like one of these prissy iPhone bobbleheads? Like, I need an iPhone. Android, which I am an Android user. I still like iPhones. Don't worry about it. Um, Android has an app called Video Coach Delay Mirror. What fuck? Like, get a better name. Uh, listen, this thing isn't perfect, okay? It's not the most perfect app, but let me tell you what this thing does, okay? You can, first off, Chromecast it. If you have a Chromecast or some sort of Apple TV or whatever, you can cast it to your TV or if you have that in your gym, which we do, or you just set this sucker up on a tripod and you basically, it, it records and it buffers and then you set a delay. I know these are like nerdy terms, but here's what happens. You tell the camera how long you want it to delay. You set it up. You do whatever the fuck you do, whether it's a squat, a dead bug, whatever. And let's say I have a 30 second delay. I pop up for my dead bug I walk over to that camera and what's playing back is literally just what went down. Now, why does this matter? Why is this better than anything else? Because I mean, honestly, it, it, it kind of is a time saver. So I don't have to sit there, fuck around, go load the fucking video, hit play, wheel back and forth on coaches. I, maybe you do want to do that. But again, time is one of the most valued commodities. Like, I don't have time to train, right? It's just quicker, and then you, if you can just make a quick adjustment. So I'm going to show text. I, I was geeking out on this a few weeks ago. 
Uh, I'm going to show text once we get set up next week, and, and but check it out and then tinker with it. Or, you know, maybe there's an Apple version that's better. I don't know, people, but what do we got next? All right, so uh, it's from this. This is from Josh Welburn. Uh, what if I don't have a squat rack, plates, or a bar? What supplement should I take? <laughs> uh, uh, what's um, fish oil? So you, t- you should take eight grams of fish oil per pound of body weight. Um, whey protein, casein, one gram per pound of body weight. Whey protein at night, right? Yeah, whey at night. Casein during the day. Yeah, because you want the, the long-lasting effects. <laughs> Jesus, well, we're just fucking... <laughs> Jesus. All right, uh, so we, we got that. We mailed this, dudes, right? Yeah. Okay. All right, so next what we have here is our man, Nate C. Lussier. He wants to know, what should goal lifts be for people? For example, double bodyweight bench and so on. Double bodyweight bench? Dude, let's hang out. It's fucking huge. Yeah, that's me. What's up? You I'm must be pretty light. 180? Um, <laughs> okay, so what should goal lifts be? Here's the thing. Like, dude, Nate, dog, here's where we may have a slight disconnect, right? When we talk about the prudency of training and using the lifts, usually it's not about just racking up the heaviest numbers, right? Unless that's your sport, which I, I get it. Like, dude, people fucking dedicate their lives to powerlifting or Olympic lifting. It's commendable. And I, I, the, the passion is oftentimes unmatched and even in training for other sports, right? But you have to remember what we're all about, empowering performance. And the idea isn't necessarily like if you have a double body weight bench, it's going to make you a better performer, right? So what we like to see isn't necessarily the number, but the journey. Are you ready for this test? Here's what I want to see. I want to see where you end up after consistently lifting squats, 30 reps a week, press, 15 reps a week, bench press, 15 reps a week, dynamic pulls, 15 reps a week, deadlift, one heavy set of five a week. And I want you to linear progress that week after week after week. I want you to pair that up with an intelligent sprint program. And I want you to spend 30 weeks. I don't know. I'm going to say 30 weeks, but I want you to go through this linear progression, the amateur progression that we put out there, right? And I want this to be the first exposure to your serious, to you being serious about training. And I want you to do it in a way that you're moving multiple planes of motion every day. You're hitting every primal movement pattern throughout the week. You're, you're hammering primal proficiency and you go through this linear progression and you establish something that we refer to as a base level of strength. And consider this your license to drive, your license to train. As you come out of, let's say, again, generically, this 30-week mission, this 30-week process, let's see what your numbers are. But it's not about your numbers. It's about your ability. It's about your ability to move through space. It's about your ability to be strong and powerful, display your strength dynamically, do athletic things, solve problems with your movement, right? If you were to put it into a language, it's about fluency of movement. That's what I want to see. I want to see you establish a base level of strength. It's not about where you end. It's about how you got there. Because through those hundreds or thousands of reps that you're going to accumulate, uh, that's our first step towards becoming a better athlete, becoming a better mover, becoming what we would refer to as a power athlete, right? 
And, and that's the problem is people don't take the time to fucking establish that base level of strength. And God knows I probably wouldn't have. I was lucky enough to have a coach who I don't know. I didn't know what his fucking if this was his plan. I do want to go back to Chicago and ask him, like, what was your fucking plan? But he had me linear for wrestling for two years, right? Because but two, I should say two seasons. So he had me in the off season. And each off season we linear progressed and we sprinted. And fucking it was just it was exactly what we talked about. And I like to think that I'm a relatively capable mediocre athlete. <laughs> but like I have the ability to to seamlessly, effortlessly, effortlessly move through space. And the state championship ring. No big deal. And a Super Bowl ring. <laughs> so I guess Dude, Nate, I know that's probably not what you want to hear, but I don't know. Tex, do you have anything to add to that before I just pander to this? Well, it's are you, is this for you? Is this for your athletes? If you are a coach, you need to change your perspective immediately. Because it's not about what they can do in the weight room. They never get the opportunity to line up against somebody and ask, what do you bench? Mm-hmm. I don't care if that's MMA, lacrosse, football. That doesn't exist. What does exist is their opportunity time and time again to use that bench press to succeed in a sport. So in terms of goal lifts for people, what's your one loss record? Talk to me about that scholarship opportunity that you were given, right? So I don't even want to put numbers to it because it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, John tells a story about one of the rookie offensive linemen that he played with that could barely bench 225 pounds, but... He trusted no one else to stand next to him on the field because mm-hmm. he would toss bodies around. Yeah. And then I love this phrase because I've seen it every, everywhere I go. The strongest guys in the weight room are the strongest guys in the bench. I've never worked for a team in which the guys who are on the leaderboard are also the rock stars when it comes to and trusted with the game day performance. Not saying that hasn't happened, but for the top tier teams I've been on, yeah, it's just not the one, a one-to-one correlation. Yeah. It really isn't. So, well, I'm going to pander. And I know, like, text, you're probably going to be like, well, I'm not. You fucking do. If you're just a dude that's banging weights and really likes what we put out there, uh, you know, for, I would say, a young adult male who's probably been banging weights for five years, I'm just going to bear with me, right? Um, double body weight bench, 2.5 body weight deadlift, 1.5 body weight, or no, double body weight, Squat, 2.5 body weight dead, uh, 1.5 body weight bench, 1.5 body weight power clean, over body weight press. What am I missing? Snatch? I don't know. 40? 40. Oh, and then, yeah, and then a 40 time. Like, let's say you're. How about, let's throw a vertical jump in there. Yeah, vertical jump, 30 plus inches, vertical jump. Broad jump, I don't know. Uh, eight plus feet. Yeah. Uh, oh, closer to 10. Yeah, yeah 10. Uh, let's see. I'm not going to say box jump because five, ten, five. Mm-hmm. So put in performance. You want numbers? Let's look at performance stuff like that. Yeah, five, ten, five, forty times. So sub five forty. I'd say if you're a sub five forty, you're an adult who didn't play sports, and let's say you're between I don't know, like 180 to 200 pounds. That's not bad, right? Five is good. Yeah. So and don't don't even limit it to kind of our our power athlete approach. Maybe you row a two k and then look to other sports or different instances to measure yourself. Uh-huh. So, I mean, um, yeah, infinite amount of opportunities to measure yourself. Don't limit it to the powerless. Mm-hmm. And, but here would be my caveat to that. Like, that is, those are commendable if, 
And only if, and this is my personal opinion, you can effortlessly execute our warm-up catalog. Yeah. How about, yeah, I'll go, let's say, what's your, what's your step up? In, what's your lunge <laughs> to step up? Uh, How much can you put into a sandbag and successfully as beautiful reps as possible in a row for a primal movement complex? Yeah. Number one. So there you go, buddy. <laughs> one text said. Um, IT van slow twist and kick. One good one. All right. What do you want to hit? Do you want to hit speed rounds or did we have one more text? Speed looks good. All right. So obviously we'll just fucking go with this one. Um, oh, no. Let's do John's, I mean, John's question. Well, we already did John's questions. Uh, okay. So let's just go speed round until I figure out what I'm going to do here. All right. So first one. All you can eat sushi or all you can eat tacos. Tacos. Tacos without a doubt. And then I had a little call out later from a friend of mine, Waleen. 30 tacos, question mark. Let's be honest, Luke, California. I've never seen crushed more than three shredded beef El Matador tacos in one sitting on a good day. Okay, Aaron. <laughs> first off, let me tell you something. Okay? I, I'm leaning out. <laughs> oh, she just got the last and, three. But here's the thing about El Mat tacos, and anyone who's been to the symposium can attest to this. One, they're fucking good. You don't want to overdo it on a good thing, right? Why, Tex? Because it becomes a bad thing. It's like loving CrossFit and then opening a CrossFit gym. Then all of a sudden you hate CrossFit. And not like the mothership. They're great. But I'm just like, all of a sudden you have resentment for your training because all these people just suck the people. life out of you. Right? So, Aaron, listen, I will eat 30 tacos. You put your fucking money where your mouth is. But caveat is this. They got to be the street tacos. Street tacos? Yeah. So street tacos are like the pussy version of real tacos. So like half sizers. Yeah, you know what I'm talking like the little yeah. fucking uh, anyways. Okay, so that was easy. All you can eat tacos. Uh, even though me and uh, Tyler did do all you can eat sushi and the fucking guys were like, Are you in with Levi? And they're like, uh, do you want more? Like, yes. I was like, I don't know if we can I don't know if we can allow that. So we ate a model sushi. Okay, next one. Uh, my boy Drake, do you have leader hosen yet? No. But that should be our mission this summer. I know. We're working on it. Dude, listen, Drake, we're working on it. And basically, don't tell John. I doubt he'll even make it this far in this podcast anyways. <laughs> but he really wants to go, and I really want to go. And we don't have enough people attending the cert yet to warrant a full staff of coaches. So listen, my German friends and my European friends and anyone within the surrounding area, buy yourself a, a train ticket or a plane ticket, or a cab ride, or a cab ride, or an Uber, and get yourself ready to rock at CrossFit Nuremberg, right? Reebok CrossFit Nuremberg. We are putting on a seminar there that is going to blow your minds. Never before seen or heard material. One time only. Uh, September 24th, I think, or 17, one of those. Uh, anyway, so Drake, no, sadly we don't. And hopefully I get to see you there, buddy. Give you a big old hug and a kiss. Uh, let's see. Speed round. 24th. Birth fit. So we hang out. Maybe make a program or two. Sounds like a dare. ASL. I'm in. <laughs> uh, let's see. When is the next Talk To Me Johnny live? Is it at Oktoberfest? First off, maybe that's the trick. Epic. Maybe we could do that. Um, that would be amazing. But... Short answer is give me 30 to 60 days to get my shit together because I was candidly, as much as I was pleased with the, the event, 
and people's viewing experience live, the recorded version did not come out as was promised by my sales guy, all right? So I gotta figure out a new system to get that sorted out, and that's gonna be part of me and Texas' little uh, vacation out here as well. So I give that maybe a month or two, and dude, we have an esteemed list of individuals. We just gotta lock those people down as well. So uh, it's not over, but it, it's still gonna be rolling. We just gotta get, a, get in our stride and figure out our system and how to manage the media. So good question. Next question, who can do more pull-ups, John or Luke? Well, here's the thing you have to understand about John. John has a 10-year career in the NFL and some serious shoulder mobility issues, and he'll be the first one to tell you that I'm a fucking machine and I can do more pull-ups than John. I don't know if I could, though. What kind of pull-ups? Circle pull-ups? What's a circle pull-up? Um, Kipling. Kipling? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, probably strict, I'd imagine. Well, first off, it's kipping. I'm fucking smash it because I can kip and John can't, right? Have you ever seen a 300-pound man kip on a, a fucking pull-up bar? That thing's going to fall apart. Second off, I'm assuming it's strict, neutral grip pull-ups. And I'm probably good right now. If we went out there right now, I bet you I'm good for 12. 12? That's pathetic. That's probably right. Yeah. Anyways, so there you go. But Big John, I think, uh, could probably knock out 10 to 11. But here's the thing. If he went first... I will get more than him. Yeah, that it would have to be best of three. Yeah, <laughs> for real, because then competition mode goes on, and then we're shutting PRs left and right. Now, my man Logan, who's got these little things on his arms that look like biceps, just smaller mosquito bites. Yeah, uh, he wants to know: Is it really cloudy in SoCal, or do I just have a poor attitude? Well, Logan, it's both. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> the sun is coming out though. All right, is it really nice? Uh, thoracic spine mobility work before or after training? Both. Well, hang on. Do oh. you need it? Yes, no, maybe. Yes. Then why not just the whole session? Like in between, even in between sessions, do your drills. Uh, do it before, do it during, do it after. I don't know. That's what I do. Yeah. So it's going to be a part of your preparation. Uh, but you always have to move through all planes of motion in your warm up and your cool down. Uh, so. Just this morning, we were doing IT band slow twisting kicks, a cr soul crushing thoracic spine mobility uh, drill. Highly recommended. Uh, but it needs to be preparation before because that'll help you load your spine. And then in, in cool down, it's going to be attacking your limiting factor. Everyone needs to work on thoracic spine mobility oh, to dude. some degree. We forgot a big question. We'll just keep finish going, going with this, okay. the speed round, and then we'll finish up with well, this. Well, we only got one more in speed round. So the answer is all the time. Uh, I also find a way to kind of put it in as active rest during presses. So just lay down on the ground, get the, the old foam roller between between your knees, and then hug the world mm -hmm. between each set of bench press and or overhead press. All right, next one. Um, would you change any aspect of the Field Strong program while trying to lean down? Probably not. It's plenty of volume. Everything's fine. It's all gonna. If you're trying to lean down, it's all about dialing in your your calories and your micros and macros, right? If you're having trouble with that, get one of our nutrition. Get Tyler or Leia on you and let them just do all the fucking hard work. Go to nutrition coaching and get it done, and they just tell you exactly what to do, um, and it works quickly. Now, if let's say if you are still having trouble leaning down, what I could potentially recommend. Is um like let's say you're training at night, AM cardio. Let's say you're training in the morning, PM cardio. 
Go for a walk, something easy, 40 minutes, 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 40 minutes, four days a week, 30 minutes, five days a week, 20 minutes every day, 60 minutes, three days a week, something like that. Get an airdyne, go on a Versa climber, get a step mill. Uh, do that type of stuff. It's just the low impact stuff that doesn't compromise and tax you for the fucking ballistic training ahead. Um, you could also throw in, depending on your skill level and what you're looking for, uh, you could pair up the, the new sprint program. If you're not a slow distance type of guy, fucking Tex just wrote a brilliant article on how to pair up the sprint program with Field Strong, but it all depends on kind of how much time you have. Uh, so there's a kind of speed round to that. Um, how long do you think John could talk if just given an open mic? So here's where I'm going to go ahead. Here's how I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of put some numbers to this. If John's supposed to give a 40 minute lecture, okay, let's start with the first 15 minute lecture. That typically goes 90 minutes. 40-minute lecture goes three hours, 20 minutes. Open forum, has he had his coffee? Is he, has he been training? Is he well-fed? And, okay, let's not say well-fed. Let's say he's hungry. So he's had coffee. He's rested. He's hungry. And uh, I don't know, what fires him up? If you ask him a, a question that gets him riled up, I would say he could go six to eight hours. That's my guess. What do you think? Trick question. We checked all those boxes. He's in the back room. He's not on vacation, and he's still going. Yeah, he's still just talking to himself in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got here at 6.30 to train. It's hitting 12 here, too. Oh, is it fucked. Okay, so we have, we have like a half hour for this question. Okay. For the John question? No. <laughs> we cut. Um, high bar squat versus oh, low bar squat. Oh, shit. Preferred strength versus athletics. Which do you feel is and more aesthetics overall? or athletics? Oh, aesthetics. Sorry. Strength versus aesthetics. Uh, uh, feel, yeah, no, you're right. Which do you feel is more overall functional? Benefits from doing either or. Um, let's see. And then someone also asked that again. Uh, high bar versus low bar. Dude, like, just a moment of silence. Callie, just cut for like a break here. Tex and I have to, Tex and I have to get our mind right on this. So we're going to go do two shots of tequila and 20 push-ups. Fight a bear. <laughs> Come back. Whatever's left, we'll, we'll. All right. So, high bar versus low bar. Uh, define low bar. Uh, right above your uh, sacrum. Above your SI joint? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so adult yeah. squat, essentially. All right, so here's the thing, man. All right, John actually uh, went off on a little Facebook rant on this as well. So this whole thing has to – okay, so strength. Let's just assume it's strength, right? I don't want to subscribe to high bar or low bar. What we like to say is really base of the traps. And what we use is bar position to – that, that let's say base of the traps gives you three to four inches, depending on how big your traps are, how big your back is, you know, anthropometrically. Bar position is a tool to improve line of action for a squat, which should be hips and knees bending at the same time, sitting back, loading your posterior chain, and using your posterior chain to stand up. Uh, so for strength and aesthetics, all of them, like uh, any training response. We are going to use that. Now, I guess here's the caveat with this. Like, let's say you're a trained athlete. 
and you've already been fucking banging weights and it's strength day. And like, there's a competition. You have to put up the biggest numbers, do whatever you have to do to put the biggest numbers up. Right. But I truly believe in terms of developing straight uh, strength, toes forward, universal athletic position, everything we talk about with the power athlete squat is the best way to squat. Yeah. Right. I mean, um, maybe barring again, strength only not using this for transfer of training tests. Okay. I don't understand. I know that's the problem. Um, you can maybe have deviation in your foot angle, assuming there are flexibility issues, because if it's a strength competition, you have a movement standard, but you also train for that strength competition. Yeah. So what you got three months out, you got tight hips. Am I going to work around that for three months? Fuck no. Well, probably. I mean, that's what people are going to do, but that's not what we would do with our athletes. Yeah. Well, I know what we would do. Right. I mean, I only do what we would do. Right. So I, I guess we don't subscribe to objective things like high versus low because we, we ran an Occupy Strength competition that turned into the Power Athlete Team Series, and we've seen some hideous, hideously low rack positions. In some ex- just absurdly high rack positions. So um, I don't know, man. Base of the traps. Keep that sucker on the meteor traps below your cervical thoracic junction, that bony protrusion, and above uh, your your deltoid, uh, where your uh, posterior deltoid attaches to your fucking arm. We're looking up. It's, I'm drawing a blank right now. But that's acromion. What's that? Acromion bone. And above your acromion bone. <laughs> Serious. So yeah. we we said earlier in the podcast landmarks. So that way there is no misinterpretation of our expectation of execution. So I asked Luke, what's a what's a high bar? What's a low bar? And we would come with different answers. And I'm sure whoever's asking this question, you have your set definition for those two. But it's all going to be different. But here's the thing with landmarks: you know exactly where to put the bar. So that way we can drive a set training response, a set adaptation based off of where we're all going to place the bar. So that's another thing with this argument, I guess. Tool to increase the line of action with squat. I stole that from Luke. Right. Well, I mean, I stole that from John. Like, and that's, when you think about it, that's what we do. And we say we ha- you have a margin between your CT and your what? Joint? A bone. A chromian. A chromian bone. It's a continuation of the scapular spine, and hooks over anteriorly. Okay. It articula- articulates with the clavicle, the collarbone, to form the AC joint. Okay. So we that's what we generalize as base of the traps. And we use, like if you've been to the seminar, you you probably had one of our one of us roll the bar up a half inch or one or roll the bar down a half inch or one from where you think the base of traps is because it puts you in a better position. It puts you in a more balanced position to use your posterior chain to squat. Now, a high bar, so let's just talk about this. Okay. Right? I got a lot of points to hit So, here. And I don't want to, like, rat fuck anybody who's, who's a credible high bar enthusiast because odds are, you know, there's some people who just squat better that way. And by better, it means uh, they can lift more weights. And it's because of what I would consider – bad habits from the start and being a quad dominant squatter, which we are not fans of quad dominance. We want you to use the posterior chain because it's designed to do exactly what you're tasking us to do with this back squat. Yes. 
Um, so here's something that I, I didn't have an issue with, but it was an overall expression by majority of the attendees at this weekend's CrossFit football seminar in CrossFit Mayhem in Cookville, Tennessee. I got a lot of people just saying it feels weird. It's just a new movement to you. So you are comparing kind of the toes forward athletic position, power athlete squat to that of which you're used to, whether it's the air squat, the high bar, the low bar. So of course it feels weird, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. So what we find the big points I love to highlight with the toes forward squat are as follows. It doesn't hide your weaknesses. It doesn't work around your weaknesses. We identify if your hips are tight. Torque is going to be your friend, but we don't need too tight hips. It forces your butt back into your hamstring. And we can tell if you as an athlete are able to actively load your hamstring. If you're able to accomplish that, it leads us to taking advantage of the stretch shortening reflex. And trust me, this is not a bounce off the calves if we're able to take advantage of the physiological phenomenon of the stretch shortening reflex, we can move more weight by doing less work, becoming stronger and saving energy long-term or creating rate of force power, the rate of force development faster. So that's power, right? And finally, toes forward allows us to you compensatorily accelerate the bar through our strongest point in our squat. So toes forward cat squatting, it's not quad dominant squatting that most people finish strong with with the toes out. I blacked out. I blacked out. So uh, I hope that answers the question. And like, it's, here's the fucking thing with this. Like, here's what I'm afraid of for these guys. And, and uh, you know, have mercy. Have mercy, right? They're looking for affirmation of what they're doing. Yeah. And we get this shit all the time. Uh, specifically with like some new, some people who ask us about nutrition, like, Hey, like if I take pop tarts, uh, rectally, does it still affect my macros? That was in South park. <laughs> so it's like th they're sticking pop tarts in their butt and they want us to say it's okay. Well, it's not, if you're eating pop tarts through your butt, it's wrong. Right. In what fact, about pop tarts period? Well, uh, as long as, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's like, no. Right. And we're not going to, I just can't, you know, the, the unfortunate fucking oath that we knowingly or unknowingly took uh, when we took this fucking job to be a power athlete coach is that we are going to battle the bullshit. And like, you know, Andy said it, uh, you know, said it well on, on the, their talk to me, Johnny long road episode is just like, you know, even though we think it's like a noble fucking battle, people don't fucking care. They just want to be told and want you to agree with it. But I'm not going to. I'm going to be stubborn, and we never will. And that's that's our that's kind of our pledge is the battle of bullshit. And I just don't believe for the hobbyist or field sport athlete that you, that a high bar low bar is better than what we're recommending here. Right now, I can see a transfer in training from a high bar to an Olympic lifter. Would you agree? I see a, a toe practicing with a, a different toe position for an Olympic lifter who needs to get under the bar. I can see it. I get it, but I'm not an Olympic lifting coach. So I can't like, I can't intelligently speak to that, but I see, I can appreciate it. And I can probably, I could probably listen to an elite coach tell me why and acknowledge and, you know, that they have a system, but where am I going with this text? Is like, gotcha. 
Yeah, I think. So the, the transfer training, this is where, I mean, I would approach that. That's going to be the driving factor of why else do anything. Right. If your goal is to Olympic lift, then all of your training should transfer over to improving your Olympic lifts, your power lifts, so on and so forth. Uh, from an Olympic lifting perspective, uh, transfer training toes forward, that will improve your jumps. And guess what will then carry over to your Olympic lifts? Mm -hmm. Improving your jumps by squatting toes forward will then improve your Olympic lifting. If you're a, a sprinter, well, improving toes forward to a stretch shortening depth, maybe not kind of bouncing off your calves depth, not, definitely not a quarter squat depth, but squatting into your hamstrings will then carry over to jumps. Direct correlation between jumps and sprints. So if that's what we're looking for, that's what I would argue. In terms of uh, power lifting, we've had the conversation with Louie for toes forward. Many re the One of the many reasons that people go toes out is because they're very bellous, very uh, kind of a big belly, big belly individuals. So they can't because that would then cut their depth. But if they're that's them working around the limiting factor, then we're able to um, attack an external structural issue, which is tight hips, mm -hmm. which then turns their hip off. A tight joint or a tight muscle cannot function properly, which then has a negative effect on their number, which is their goal. In the long term. In the long term. So if we have a meet that's three months out, six months out, which realistically, big lifters, that's how long they train for these goals, not just doing one because they feel like it, it's three weeks away. So that is plenty of time to make a an external structural change that will then carry over to their lifts, no matter what they're training for. Hammered it. So, mic drop. Um, I guess the answer is neither, <laughs> right? No, the answer is toes forward. Yeah. And the bar, the power athlete squat. Yeah. However you want to define it. Athletic yeah. position, bar position. Mm -hmm. We're going to, we'll probably have like a half hour fucking montage on this sucker. Uh, after we get done filming everything this next couple months. All right. I think that's it, my man. Did we crush it? I know Cal chimed in late with the question. Do you want to answer it? Uh-huh. I guess we are one. All right. All right. So Callie asks, Callie Hensman, uh, oh, shit, there's been like five more fucking questions. She said, if the moon was made of cheese, would you eat it? <laughs> Follow-up question. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, man. I think we nailed it. We crushed it. Um, uh, let's see. My answer is going to be yes because uh, my genes allow me to. I'm double lactose tolerant. Oh, are you? Very nice. Well, the answer is yes, and we would love it. We would enjoy it thoroughly. All right, peeps. Uh, thanks for for listening. If we didn't get your question, sorry. We're just kind of running out of time here. I actually got to catch flight in about, I don't know, 45 minutes. Uh, until next time, if, if you, you're geeked out on some of the shit you talked about and you're like, what the fuck's this cert? CrossFitFootball.com slash events. Check out the cert schedule. Go to one near you. You're going to see a, a few popping up here over the next week. Um, getting the rest of the year booked out. Uh, what other shameless plugs do you have, Tex? Squatting toes forward. Uh, get on the forums. Add comments. Uh, read a oh, transfer and training article. Oh, never pretty good. Yeah. And uh, if you're like, ooh, this grindstone thing seems a little sassy, why don't you go ahead and head to phq.co slash capital G 
Grindstone. Grindstone, all one word with capital G. It's going to take you right to the page. Or honestly, I bet you if you just fucking Google Power Athlete Grindstone, it should it better pop up, right? Um, all right, peeps, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks I guess it, if you want to hear more from Luke and myself, just email John at Power Athlete HQ and say, give these guys more airtime. Yeah. Take a breath. John, take a breath. <laughs> Maybe between talking, he'll check his email. <laughs> all right. All right, buddy. Uh, thanks, guys. Talk to you later. Later. Bye. Drop on, drop on, drop on.